It's a balmy Middle Eastern night, 3,500 years ago. A man wakes up in a cold sweat and ambles out of his tent into the open air. He surveys the landscape in front of him, the slow-moving flow of a desert creek, the sprawling arrangement of dozens of tents, his sleeping family inside of them. Although he can't see it, he knows that an existential threat to his family's survival is lurking just beyond the horizon. He has been fearing this moment for his entire adult life. Will his own brother take revenge after all these years? Or will he forgive and maybe even forget? The man and his family have been camped here for two days. He feels like a sitting duck and he doesn't like it. Impulsively, he rushes through the camp, opening tent flaps, waking up his family. Hurry, he urges them. Grab your things, fold up your tents. I want to get moving. Dazed and still half sleeping, his wives and children reluctantly agree. Within the hour, everyone is ready to move. They are just waiting for the man's instructions. The man's youngest son speaks up. Dad, where are we going? Across the creek, the man says. But Dad, isn't that towards Uncle Asav and his army? It is, my son. It is. Now let's get going. Thank you, random Sephardic tefillah guy, and welcome, listeners, to the inaugural episode of Pshat or Not, the podcast that takes a fresh look at juicy and mysterious narratives in Tanakh. We are also a podcast that does not take itself too seriously. We are your co-hosts. I'm J.J. Weinstein. And I'm Danny Weinstein. No relation. None whatsoever. And where are we from, Danny Weinstein? We're from Boston. We are, but neither of us lives in Boston. I live in New Jersey. Living I live the in very Dallas, Texas. You live the non-corporate entrepreneurial life. I live the boring banker, not too exciting life. Skinny guy with glasses. Parnassa's Parnassa, you know. I'm in. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? And why are we, well, first, why are we doing this podcast? Today we're exploring Parshat Vayishlach, the reunion of Yaakov and Esau, including Yaakov's strange wrestling match. Why, Why do we do, we do this, this podcast, yeah. you ask? Well, I don't know. Why are we doing this podcast? I think we're doing it because we're both fascinated by the depth of the characters in Tanakh and feel like maybe we didn't, haven't fully explored them in Yeshiva. With all due respect to our Yeshiva education, there's so much more meat on the bone to be discussed with, with our complex human beings. That and the sources are extremely deep and endless, and we don't have time to look through all of them, but the ones that we have looked through show a little bit more of an ambivalent situation, um, maybe not so unanimous that's on a great some of point. the shot. And something you've mentioned to me many times as you've studied Mepharshim that, which I have not studied as deeply, that they often contradict one another and not always in such a friendly way, which I find interesting. But before we digress too far, uh, on, that's a very good segue to the topic of a few notes before we really get started on Parshat Vayishlach. First note is that we have not done a comprehensive review of the Mepharshim on what we're going to talk about. Uh, therefore... Others may have advanced these ideas that we're going to talk about. 
and that's great. And if they have, we think that's wonderful. And uh, we don't mean to take uh, credit for ideas others have put forward that we just don't know about. Uh, and which brings us to our second listener point, also a good segue. If you know that someone said this before or brought forth this idea, or you just want to talk to us about what you agree or disagree with, or have a question about what we talk about, there are a few ways to get in touch with us, and we'd love to hear from you. The first is by emailing us, shotornot at gmail.com. You can also visit our Facebook page or tweet us at shotornot. Or not. Or not, or you don't have to. So are we ready to launch into our first topic here, Parsha Vayishlach? Muchanim Ken. Okay. So we're going to tackle, no pun intended, one of the hardest to understand episodes in Sefer Bereshit, when Yaakov wrestles with someone. We all think of this as an angel, but let's not get there yet. We're going to talk about who this someone may have been. And this, this episode literally creates a name for the entire Jewish people and our homeland, Israel. This person that Yaakov wrestles with, or angel that Yaakov wrestles with, brings forward the explanation after Yaakov asks for a blessing, right? That's where Yisrael comes from. But let's kind of, you know, step back and put, put Yaakov's life into a little bit of context, for refresh everyone's memory on what Yaakov's up to before we get to his wrestling match. So remember, everyone, Yaakov had just been living with his father-in-law for many years, couldn't tell you the exact number of years, but many years. He's matured into a you know, very accomplished, wealthy individual with a large family. But he'd been under the, the thumb of his father-in-law. And it's pretty clear from the way Yaakov talks to, uh, to his family about his father-in-law that he has, didn't have such a great relationship with, with Lavan. And Lavan didn't treat him fairly financially. And so Yaakov goes through a whole uh, interesting, which is another topic we'll get into at some point, hopefully interesting exercise where he enriches himself, amasses wealth, sort of at the expense of his father-in-law. But more importantly, for the purpose of this podcast, Yaakov has finally left his father-in-law. Didn't get away cleanly. They had an encounter, but he's gone now. Lavan's in his rear view mirror, which is wonderful. I mean, when is it totally clean in family, you know? Fair point, fair point. Although it seems like he, like he never sees his father-in-law again, at least as far as we know, which is interesting. But we don't really know that for sure. It's sort of just not talked about in the text. Um, it's not so black in Lavan. Ooh, very nice, very nice. Very nice. You're welcome. <laughs> so Yaakov should be breathing a sigh of relief at this point. However, as is true of Yaakov's entire life, it seems, he always the next challenge is just around the corner with no rest for the weary. So Yaakov is heading south from Padana Ram to Israel, and he's headed towards his brother, Esav. And just remember, listeners, the last time we saw Esav, he was scheming to kill his brother, or at least sort of promising himself that he would kill his brother because I can say you couldn't, couldn't blame him. I know maybe that's kind of a 
maybe a, a harsh type of uh, you know response to what happened, but certainly Yaakov took Esav's blessing, and, and that was something Esav was not thrilled about. And uh, so Esav, last we saw him, was pretty upset and had vowed to himself uh, to take action against his brother, to harm his brother. Now, Danny, I know you had an interesting, before we get into the idea uh, or continue on this sort of narrative arc of Esav, you know, being a character that we're not in love with, I know you had a thought, uh, something you read that maybe you can talk about here, which is a bit of a counterpoint to that to that theme. Yes, well, Azov <clears throat> is, um, it's well known that he had Kibudav that was on an extremely high level, and that's not disputed, I don't think, anywhere. So, there are several examples in the Mikra that will highlight some of those. And one is I think a parallel to a situation that I recently saw. I have a, <clears throat> a friend here in Dallas. We won't name names, but um, this mensch is making Aliyah <clears throat> and uh, very jealous. But uh, he had some people coming and gathering and saying a few words, um, some nice words about him. So there was a, um, a recent high school graduate. I guess he was a freshman in college. <clears throat> and uh, look, I, I don't know who he is, but just, you know, superficially, if I could <clears throat> take a few guesses, it looked like he had kind of a, you know, he's had a kind of a tough, you know, uh, he's not, he's not, he's not on the derech on the situation, you know, at the current moment, which is totally fine. But um, he, he said a few words and uh, they were uh, very, very heartfelt and how much he, uh, that, uh, that uh, this fellow meant to him and everything he's done and he's made, you know, he never, he wasn't judged. Uh, he didn't judge him, and he is who he is, but he's been able to bring Judaism closer uh, for him because he's not judgmental and, and so forth. Um, and then uh, my friend says, well, you know, tomorrow actually we're having a little gathering. If you want to come by one more time, you know, he could see me one more time. And he says, oh, I have a frat party. I'm sorry. It's just not possible. It can't mm -hmm. be done. So my first thought was, <clears throat> you know, that, 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 that was disingenuous. Uh, and you know that they were uh, false words, and then the second thing I thought was, how old is this this guy? And I don't know what he's been through, and you know what he's there. He's there now, and he's saying those words, and he didn't have to be there, at all, you know. And it's like when people are talking in shul and people shush them. You know, they didn't have to be in shul. They could have not come to shul. So maybe don't discourage them from coming to shul, you know. So. I feel like, you know, there is a parallel here where even in a moment where Esav swears to himself he's going to kill his brother, he says, not until, you know, until my father dies. While, while my father's alive, I won't touch a hair on his head. And that actually provides time and space that Kibudav to let him cool down and cool off and years go by and time heals and he matured at least to a certain extent and I don't know how that can be disputed because he swore he would kill his brother and then he did not kill his brother mm. his father passes away and they bury him together he has an opportunity 
to take his revenge fully, not just on Yaakov, and not you know on his entire family, and not you know. I guess we'll we'll discuss this in a bit, you know, a little little teaser, but no, not just at night, but in the in the light of day, mm-hmm. he could have taken him out with an with an army of four hundred men, and he didn't do it. Yeah, there's there's uh, sort of two levels to what you're saying there. Two two uh, interesting. Uh, concepts. Right. The first right. is that he conquered his Asaph conquered his impulses in the moment, right? Way back when, when he first swore this to himself, but he also caveated that, like you mentioned, uh, and then and then he matures. At least we that's our interpretation, and he decides not to take revenge years later. So mm-hmm. uh, something interesting that you mentioned. So that's all very good. But you in- mentioned something interesting to me the other day. It's something you read. I think you sent me an article about it, actually, or a Torah. So compare and contrast that with Yaakov's own children. Can you can you take us through that? Because I thought that was fascinating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So Yaakov has uh, Shimon and Levi, who, in a in the case of Dina being abducted and um, assaulted, as we all know, um, Shimon and Levi. Uh, took it upon themselves to pick up the sword and they uh, swore to um, they swore to uh, live peaceably and and, uh, you know become two peoples whatever the case may be they made a deal and then and then they and then they waited until until the circumcision, after the circumcision, the pain was at its most, and they went in there and they and they took everybody out. And so you're now using the the symbol, the siman of Yiddishkeit, which is the bris milah, right, and everything that that represents, which is basically to take off, take off the um, the base desires, you know, that 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 come with you. You want to call it the yitzhar, you want to call it base desires. And that you have to mature and you have to uh, become a man who can conquer his uh, physical impulses. And I think that uh, it, it, it appears that Azov was able to do that, at least with respect to his brother, mm-hmm. um, as he aged. With, with Shimon and Levi, so, you know, so that, that is a, seems to be a serious transgression. Yeah, and, and I think you also mentioned to me the other day that even if you take it further in the timeline, that, you know, when Yosef was, you know, uh, causing, when Yaakov was favoring Yosef and, and you know, Yosef's brothers threw him into the pit, they weren't able really to conquer their impulses in that moment, right? They, they took reprisal against him, that's the terminology. They took, you know, they, they threw him into the pit and they were ready to kill him until... That's so Reuven, right. I think, st- you know, stepped up. So maybe not so clear-cut, you know, as Tanakh never is. Yeah, you know, well, who, right, who sort right. of is able to take the higher road and who isn't. So Right. I think that's, you know, perhaps the, you know, God forbid, karma. I'm not literally using that term, but, you know, um, seems to occur in the case of uh, his own sons, where Esav does tshuva, seemingly faster than in his own family because it took years and years and in the first instance they uh, basically you know they didn't kill him ultimately although that was perhaps part of the plan 
and then it it did get adapted to just sell him to be a slave, and who knows what will happen to him. And then you know, Ruben had a part to play, and then ultimately Yehuda, of course, you know, um, because Binyamin was taken also from Yaakov, so it was a double whammy. And then in the the second instance, there was a tikkun, right? In the second instance, and then all the brachas come, and the reunion comes because of that. So let's let's take it back to uh, to the the um, encounter of Yaakov and Esav. Back to the shot to see you you sent you gave us a little teaser of what was coming next, who this mm-hmm. wrestling partner really is. Uh, and so let's kind of take it through and see see why it's maybe a little bit unclear. So we okay, just so left, yeah, we left Yaakov and he's you know headed towards Esav. Uh, and he does. He makes a series of strategic maneuvers that are, um, some of them seem pretty obvious, and some of them seem a bit haphazard. So let let's go through those. So first, Yaakov makes a very logical move. Right, he splits his family and his his entourage into two different groups. So if one is attacked, the other one can make a getaway. That makes sense. Okay. Then he does something else very logical. He prays. Praise to God for safety. Certainly exactly what we would expect we would do ourselves. Uh, And and a behavior we learn from Yavot. And then he even does a third sort of savvy logical move. He sends gifts to his brother to soften him up. Uh, And he sends so many gifts, it's almost embarrassing, right, for Esau to stay angry after all these gifts. He certainly could, but Yaakov's going overboard, really to flatter his brother. So, so far it all makes sense, but does it when you really take a closer look? So here's a couple more interesting things that have been happening while Yaakov's been doing those, those three logical moves. So first of all, the text tells us very clearly that Yaakov spends the night there, uh, there in the place where he was camping before he sent all the gifts to his brother. I'm not sure why that's relevant, right? So that's, that's the first question. Why do we need to you know, know that Yaakov spent the night there. You know, Tanakh doesn't usually tell us all the time when, you know, the sleeping patterns are, you know, of, of our of our protagonists. The second is uh, that the text tells us again that Yaakov spent the night there in the camp after Yaakov sent the gift. So the text tells us of two nights in a row that Yaakov spent the night there. Again, it seems seems like a little bit overkill. Uh, and then something that's even more bizarre than the text telling us that is, you know, we take it for granted because we know the story, but Yaakov wakes up in the middle of the night. He wakes up his family, and he takes them across the, the Yabok River. Okay, so we, we might think, well, he's, he's you know, Trying crossing to the Delaware. Crossing the Delaware, right. It's sort of a strategic move uh, in one way or another. Well, it might end up being, but when you actually think about, where the, the, you know, if you look at a biblical map, the Yabok River runs east-west. So what was Yaakov doing? He was coming from the north towards the south, presumably camped on the north side of the river, away from his brother. And he wakes up in the middle of the night. He's scared of what's going to happen, and yet he crosses towards his brother which is part of the uh exciting introduction that we that we recorded uh to 
pull you into this podcast. So what is going on here? He's, t- he's moving his family towards the danger. So let's put ourselves in, in Jacob's shoes and his reality. His first great adventure away from home after he, you know, received his father's bracha and Rivka helped him do that. He was running away from his brother. God appeared to him in a very elaborate and flamboyant dream to provide him reassurance. So you could look at spending the night in the camp twice as Yaakov purposely sleeping on it, right? Putting his head down, going to sleep, hoping and waiting for God to appear to him and reassure him. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen. So Yaakov, being a pragmatist, he wakes up the first day uh, and he moves after not seeing, uh, hearing from God, and he, he moves forward with a strategy, sends the gifts to his brother. God doesn't appear to him the second night. So you're, you're Yaakov. You go to sleep that second night. You're on pins and needles. God hasn't appeared to you. You're feeling very vulnerable. And he's purposely slow played his journey towards his brother because he's hoping for this message from God. He's been sitting in one location, like we mentioned, a sitting duck. Uh, so he would probably be worried, uh, you know, about his brother ambushing him. It's probably, it's probably well known that he's been camped in this location. So Yaakov wakes up in the middle of the night, obviously can't sleep, hasn't heard from God, and he moves his family in the direction that his brother would least expect. If Yaakov were in the early morning or even at night to attack, excuse me, if Esav were to attack Yaakov, he'd likely attack at the last known location, which would be in the north side of the river. So you could look at Yaakov's move as a strategic move to stay one step ahead of, of the intelligence reports, perhaps, that Esav had been receiving over the last few days. So here's where it gets even more weird and interesting. If we thought all of that made sense. Shouldn't there be a commercial break? (laughs) There should be. (laughs) There should be an advertisement here, but. This presentation sponsored by. Maybe the the Ish appears and then boom, commercial break. (laughs) That's right. If you want to pitch something, go right ahead. You have a product to sell. No one's paid us to product place at this point, so yeah, who's sponsoring I got this? Who's sponsoring got, this chat or not? I got nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing. But if you're interested yeah. in sponsorships, email us at chatternot at gmail.com. In any yeah. event. So it ain't cheap, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Hopefully people are listening. <laughs> uh, okay, so now we get to the part that we all kind of take for granted. You know, Yaakov wrestles with this angel. The text does call it him an ish, or the, this entity an ish. Not necessarily couldn't doesn't necessarily preclude it being an angel. Uh, but some really interesting things occur when Yaakov wrestles with this angel first, or this man, this person, this angel, this entity that Yaakov wrestles with, refuses to divulge his name to Yaakov, even after Yaakov has pinned him to the ground and has him in a very vulnerable position. Okay, so he's a man or an entity with a secret identity attacking Yaakov, but not Yaakov's family in the dead of the night and telling Yaakov specifically, let me go for the dawn has broken. So why is he in such a rush, this guy? So I would posit 
that it's hard to think of this as God sending an angel Yaakov's way, even though a lot of our traditional commentary suggests that, and it's a perfectly legitimate explanation. It just doesn't sort of add up. Why? What, I have what one is more. the purpose of God doing, sending an angel to wrestle with him? Please. I have one more, one more Shiloh here. Actually, Hashem gives him his name Yisrael later, right? A few program later. After the wrestling match. Correct. Oh, you, right, mean, you so mean Hashem in a later part of, of Bereshit. Right. Right. Later. Is it in this Parsha? That I don't know. Okay. So what's yeah, your shot? It is. Yeah, it is. So, yeah, it is. It's um, 35, chapter 35 in Genesis, or Bereshit, Lamed Hay. Right. And uh, it is the 10th verse. Yomar Lo. God said to him, your name is Yaakov. You shall no longer be named ya- not Yaakov, but instead Yisrael shall be your name. And he named him Yisrael. So in other words, if God had already named him Yisrael effectively through an angel, here, why is God naming him Yisrael again? Is that your Shiloh, which is a great Shiloh? It is. And is he? what is he doing? Is he like... Letting Yaakov see the Hanukkah gifts early? <laughs> or is he giving him the name? And if he's giving him the name, why does Hashem need to give him the name as well? Interesting. I love it, right? So this this whole narrative is a little bit, you know, unclear as to who he's wrestling with. So this is perhaps not the most original thought, but uh, and certainly not one that I... I, I say without hesitation because, you know, it seems a little Hollywood-esque, but you could look at this as maybe, you know, Esau's assassin or his spy that's showing up in the middle of the night uh, to, you know, take care of Yaakov or check out what's going on with the encampment, etc. Certainly sort of seems to make more sense to me, but... Uh, than an angel, but let's let's get a little deeper. It's definitely uh, Hollywood. That. It's pretty Hollywoody, right? No, but which is not a problem. I mean, Hollywood makes a lot of money. It does, but Pe- people enjoy movies, you know. I mean, I always enjoy the reading Brayshade because I think it's just juicy and it's got so. Much oh yeah, it's on. so good. It's so great. So let's let's think about the the bracha that we, you alluded to that we just alluded to that's given to uh, Yaakov by this wrestling partner. Right. You have you have striven with Elohim and with man and have overcome. Sarita Elohim Hashim So, you know, a little bit of a leap of faith here, but Elohim we know is not always used for God. Okay, in Tanakh, it's used for judges, maybe even sort of your master, right? Someone in a more superior position than you. Mm-hmm. So, you could look at this as you know, Esav's would-be assassin or spy saying you have striven with Elohim, in other words, my master Esau, and with man, and with me, the, you know, the assassin, and you've overcome. So you've sort of won round, you've, you've, you're victorious in round one of this encounter. Uh, and that, you know, maybe seem a little far-fetched, but interestingly, um, you know, Yaakov alludes to this when he meets Esau the next day in person. It's a little bit of a of a poke, right? A little bit of maybe testing the waters. Uh, because he says to his brother, I'll read it in English, 
inasmuch as I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of Elohim. Interestingly, right? So he's using the word mm-hmm. Elohim, and even more so the face of Elohim was something that the wrestling partner uh, even may have heard Yaakov say the night before, because Yaakov, as soon as he disengaged from this wrestling partner and, and got the blessing and has changed name, Yaakov names the place that he wrestled Peniel, for I have seen Elohim face to face. Same terminology that he uses with Esau the next day. So imagine, Esau's mercenary shows up, loses to Yaakov. Yaakov says out loud, I'm calling this place, you know, Peniel, because I've seen the face of Elohim. And then this guy hears it. He takes it back to Esau. Yaakov shows up the next day. He's testing out to see, was this really Esau's guy? So he kind of drops he drops that same phrase in there just to sort of test the water. So there might be some deeper stuff going on here, the dynamic between, you know, the, the dialogue and the dynamic between the two of them that uh, is more complex than we even realize. Can I jump in? Please. That's well, well stated. You know, I think that the tradition that, this Ish was the Malach of, of Esav. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't, re- I don't recall the name of, of, the, uh, of the Malach. Mm-hmm. Is that, 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 that angel, uh, that's, that, that is the angel of Esav, right? So you're saying it's an assassin of Esav. So I think that that tradition is somewhat vindicated here by the fact that God names him uh, Yisrael. Um, you can find reasons why the assassin would give him a name, I suppose, although mm-hmm. that's quite strange and don't know if I've ever seen that before. But, right, so so just three chapters later, Hashem gives him the name. So how is this assassin privy to to Hashem's plan to give him the name again? So I think the only explanation is that it's a supernatural event, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 the, and that that's the bridge, right? That it's Asaph's malach, and and that your beautiful commentary on um, the little remez that he gives to Asaph when he sees him, um, like seeing the face of Elohim. So I think that uh, it all goes together um, in the in the Masora of 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 that being. Esau's angel, because how else would he be privy to what God's going to name Yaakov? Mm, very nice. So your, your Shiloh actually is answered by tying together, you know, that God, this wasn't, God didn't name him twice, as it were, right? There was, you know, sort of a natural flow of, you know, he sort of heard, he heard it first from this Malach of, of Esau, and then ultimately, you know, God memorialized it later on uh, with a more, you know, concrete type of, you know, declaration. Like, this is that's happening. Beautiful. This is your name now. Yeah, that's, that's nice. very nice. So can, I, one thing that it makes me a little uncomfortable with my explanation, I'm going to be honest, is that it, it vilifies Aesop and not that he, you know, we have to for, certainly respect Masora, but as we talked about earlier, Esau isn't necessarily um, at a shot level 
a villain, it, depending on how you read the text. You could read it leaning in different ways. And, and so I know you had a few interesting things that you were reading in, in the various Mepharshim about, you know, why, you know, maybe Esav, even in our own Mesora, Chazal talk about why Esav may not have been quite as uh, sort of wholeheartedly evil as we sort of think of him from grade school, right? He's certainly not considered a, a holy character or one that we should emulate, but in certain ways he is. So could you take us through a couple of those before we wrap up here, Dan? Yeah, sure. I, I think that we've, um, you know, we've gone through uh, several examples, including uh, Esav and uh, Yaakov bearing Yitzhak together. Of course, uh, after this episode with the with the Ish, um, Yaakov and Esav do meet with his army of men, of Esav's men, and he seems to be magnanimous. And he goes, you know, he goes, he goes, Mog, he cries, and he says, "What's yours is yours," you know. So, and then he lets him pass through. He even offers to go with him, and you can read into that what 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 you will, but perhaps it's protection is one way to look at it as well until he's safely through his territory. Seems to be a mature thing to do, a show a little show of goodwill, in fact. Yaakov doesn't uh, appear to want that, and I don't blame him. You know, you never know, a guy might change his mind. Maybe today he's in a good mood, who knows. But uh, you have to give him credit for that. And, um, and, and in fact, he does get a Yerusha. If he's pure evil, why would he receive a Yerusha? He receives a, an inheritance that it, it are defined borders, um, and it's a, it's it's a nation, just just as we were given Eretz Yisrael and Moab was given its 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 inheritance, and um, and we have to be very careful in in uh, Chumash. There are uh, several examples that um, uh, we have to be very careful. Hashem tells Moshe when they come out of Egypt and they're heading up to Eretz Yisrael and they, and they want to be able to pass through Edom. Edom does say no and that's an interesting read maybe for another time because Esau and then Esau's legacy are two different things and that should be made clear but I think he is somewhat of a role model for what the destiny of uh, of his legacy ultimately should be and uh, you know uh, but you know, who knows. Um, but we have to be very careful not to take anything to make war with them it, while we're passing through. We're simply passing through, um, is what we're, what we're told. So, um, it does seem that he received a blessing of sorts and certainly, and, um, and he was given advice by his father that when he, uh, humbles himself, which I think is equivalent with maturity, um, then he'll be able to help his brother achieve the goal, the ultimate spiritual rectification for for mankind. So he has a very important, very important part to play, but um, it could take a while. <laughs> Even on the shot level, you pointed out something to me, which I hadn't read in Rashid for a long time. Later on, Esav and Yaakov encounter one another. Maybe it's after they bury Yitzchak. And I think this is what happens, right? That their livestock yeah. are beginning to encroach on one another's territory. 
Because the, they're, they're both yeah, very wealthy. This town ain't big enough for the both of us is what occurs. Common theme in Brashid, right? And yeah, and 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 Azov leaves. He doesn't he doesn't start a dispute like we see by Yitzchak with Wells and his neighbors. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like that. He just picks up and he goes. It's very Avraham and Lot esque, right? He just picks he just picks up and leaves. They they part ways, right? And it's Asav the one who's leaving, right? He's he's not he certainly had the military might the strength physical strength yeah to yeah. uh to say hey this, this is mine you got to move on yakov right. but he so doesn't right and that and that brings me back to my example of that uh that call that college student you know that not everybody is gonna be moshe Rabbeinu, you know and you got to give credit to people who are composed a certain way and come a certain distance that they do and it's gradual and it takes time and everyone's di- everybody's different um and that isn't to say he was exotic by any by any means but it does but i do think that uh it, um it's required that he gets a nuanced read and you know that he's not completely smeared as being the russia of russia's but um you know he it, we can't we can't dismiss what Chazal say about him, and they say he was a very, very bad guy, and I want to make that clear. Okay, I'm not, I'm not trying to paper that over by any stretch. So, but I'm just pointing out to these specific incidents, um, vis-a-vis his relationship with his brother, and the oath he took to himself that he did not make good on, and he has to be given credit for that. I think that's a wonderful thought to wrap up on because it sort of crystallizes or embodies what we're going for here on this podcast, which hopefully will continue for many episodes, which is when you, you know, reading the shot again, reading it with a very close eye and trying to understand the human element to what, you know, the characters in Tanakh may have been going through on a personal level, how they may have felt in the moment and, uh, and that they're complicated. People are complicated. Doesn't discount tradition whatsoever. But uh, people are complicated, and I think Chazal understood that. And if there's anything that we can add to that complicated picture and make it messier. Actually, I have one, one more thing please, to add to that. Please. We don't know how the complicated behavior of complicated people are going to play into God's plan. Mm-hmm. You know, because look at what, look at what happens. He, because Asa promised to kill his brother, and Rivka hears and tells Yaakov he's in fear of his life. Okay, he's in fear of his life. He thinks Esau is going to wipe him out, and his entire family, and his his wives and children. Okay, and I have to admit, I saw this by uh, one of the Rishonim. I forget who it was, but he after that episode, I think he, um, you know, he I think he um, he he builds a. Um, a pillar or he, 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 he dedicates, I forget specifically, I'll have to go back, but he, he, he says that, you know, Hashem is truly, uh, the God of Israel. Right. And, and in that moment, it was like his Yitziat Mitzrayim for he and his family. Like he thought they were going to be wiped out and God's not talking to him just like the Jews in slavery and they're God's not saving them. And then in the moment of truth, he gets saved. And so that had a tremendous impact on him. And uh, for his, for his, you know, maturation process and his, and his spiritual 
journey. And, you know, but for Aesop's promise to kill his brother, maybe he wouldn't have achieved a certain appreciation for God's salvation. That's beautiful, right? Every, we, we are all part of God's plan, and we should, but Yaakov's lesson also teaches us that, you know, if, if God's not telling you what to do or how to go forward, God probably wants you to keep pushing forward, and he'll let you know when he's ready to, to let you know. Um, and uh, I think that we, that's sort of the theme of Yaakov's life as well. You know, keep, keep doing what you're doing and do what's best for your family and simultaneously seek guidance from God, but uh, don't rely on it because God may want you to work it out yourself, figure it out yourself as well in a lot of cases. Well said. So this is wonderful. Danny, thank you. Good, good first episode. Thank you everyone for listening. And hopefully we'll be back soon with some more exciting shot or not uh, thoughts. What do we have for carry up music? I don't know, but I'm gonna I'm gonna layer it in there. All right, there's gonna be some good carry up music, so you should definitely stay tuned for that. And you should also stay tuned for the credits, you know, so you could see all the Jews that were involved in making this, so you can get a little uh, nachas out of you know. I think you might believe that this is a video recording <laughs> when in fact it is audio. <laughs> well, it's audio. There's going to be karaoke music. <laughs> That's true. There will be karaoke music listeners. I guess we could, we could dub over the names, just name them. You know, <laughs> won't take long. The karaoke music may start right now after this sort of awkward last part. It may have started earlier. You'll have to f- wait and find out. Or maybe you won't if it started earlier because I layered it in and editing maybe software should, afterwards. Maybe we should poll the viewers. Maybe they have an idea of what kind of karaoke music they would like to hear. <laughs> Dramatic, soothing, <laughs> not so clear Adrenali- Adrenaline pumping. Twitter, Facebook, email. You know how to get in touch with us. That's right. Thank you, everybody, for listening.